Coming live from Aspen, Colorado, USA is our guest this evening. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Nancy Picard, author and certified coach. And we'll be talking to one on how can someone move beyond their fears and embrace the life that they want to. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Thanks, AJ. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And as we said, uh, the, the topic is how can someone move beyond their fears and live the life that they want to. So first thing, Nancy, is that to understand you are a certified coach and so many certified integrative coach through the Ford Institute for Transformational Training and the Levine Coach, Levin Coach uh, Life Coach Academy and several other uh, uh, course, courses that you have done, the coaching certifications you have got. So in that backdrop, to, uh, to understand from you, Nancy, why, uh, why is someone in fear and why, what do they fear about? Mostly what do you come to know from your clients, from the people whom you give your advice to? Mm, great question, AJ. So we all have fears. There is nobody that's out there that doesn't have fears. The difference is that we've learned to navigate our fears. We've learned to make fear a driving force for change. So for me personally, if I'm afraid to do something and the imposter syndrome's in the back of my mind saying, oh, that's not for you. You're not big enough for that. You know, meaning like you don't know enough. There are better people than you or there are more, you know, established people than you. I know that in doing that thing, I'm going to become the very thing that the back of my mind is telling me I'm not yet. So for me, fear is a driving force for change. It's the signal that I must. If I can't, I must. And I think all of my clients, when they come to me, they're stuck. And they are afraid to move forward. They have fear of failure. They have fear of success. They have fear of looking stupid. They have fear of not being enough. There are so many fears. There are so many disempowering beliefs that we all have in our background from our childhood. I call them shadow beliefs. That's what I am. I'm a shadow coach. So when people come to me, I help them uncover those beliefs and commitments that are in their subconscious from their childhood that they're not even aware of. And those beliefs cause those fears. If they believe they're unworthy or they're not good enough or their voice doesn't matter or they'll never be enough, any of those kinds of things, that keeps them stuck. So as children, those beliefs kept us safe. But as adults, they stopped keeping us safe and they keep us closed in. They keep us afraid to move forward. Right, Nancy, right. So we'll come to that self-sabotage, your shadow beliefs and unconscious <clears throat> commitments. But just wanted to understand from you, you are such a learned person, BS in psychology and an MS in education. So you'd be the right person to ask this question. And especially you are advising a whole lot of people in different uh, spheres. That why did God create fear? Obviously, it has a function when you are fearful for your close people. You want to work hard because you don't want to end up in streets. And then 
the fear of success is also there. So obviously fear has a meaning in our lives, but obviously not to destroy ourselves, but to protect ourselves. And that's that's the way. But to understand from you, why is it then, uh, what, what is it that God created fear for so that people get an answer from that perspective? And then why do they fear success? I think people fear about fear is about some bad things in life, some danger about something negative that may happen, fear of the unknown, you know, fear of darkness. But why fear of light? Please, over to you. Well, it's true. Okay, so first of all, I think that God or the universe created fear to keep us safe, right? right? If you go back, you know, thousands of years to cavemen, they needed to be aware of fear. They needed that whole fight, flight, freeze. Right. We don't really need it the same way today, but our brain stem still does that. It has that. So um, our adaptive child, which is part like our brain, I think about the brain as the wounded child, the adaptive child, and the wise adult. Most of us spend our time in the adaptive child. We think that's an adult way, but it's really our child brain that has learned how to be in the world because of its wounds. So those wounds give our adaptive child things to be afraid of and to keep us small and to keep us safe. We have to get out of that adaptive child into our conscious adult brain to be able to say, wait a minute, I don't have anything to fear. I can do this. And what's the worst case that will happen if I do do it? So I work with my clients a lot around what's the worst case scenario. And then when they think about it and they realize that even in the worst case scenario, that's probably got less than a 1% chance of happening, they'll survive. And so even that little exercise generally calms down that adaptive child brain. And, and allows them to say, oh, yeah, I won't be on the street. And even if I am on the street, I have people to go to. I mean, when you talk it through, your conscious, wise adult brain will, will be able to let you move forward. And so the fears are real. Like, I, I, I want to know that I shouldn't walk down a dark alley in a bad neighborhood. I want that fear. I want, like, the you know, something in the back of my head to go like, oh, I don't think that's safe for you. You want those fears. We're not trying to, we don't, we can't be mindless in life and think that there's nothing to be afraid of. That being said, fear of success and fear of failure and fear of looking stupid, like in my mind, if you're sitting on the couch and you're not moving forward, aren't you already feeling stupid? Aren't you already feeling like you're not, you're like you're a failure? To me, non-movement is the biggest failure in life. I truly believe giving into your fears, it's basically like being constipated in your life. To me, that's a sin. It's, the, it's, it's just closing off your life. And if listeners have that going on for them, they need to get a coach. Or they need to read my book and they could do it. They may be able to do it on their own, but they need support. Everyone needs support to learn this, to learn how to move forward with fear, how to, how to recognize that 
the universe has your back. And so that everything that happens, it happens for you. It doesn't happen to you. I mean, it happens to you, but it really happens for you. So for me, anytime I'm unsuccessful, anytime I fail, anytime I fall on my face, I use it as a stepping stone for success. Okay, let's look at this. What did I do right? What did I do wrong? What could I do better? Is it within my power to change or do I need to get somebody who's better at this than me to give me some help? You know, what do I need to do? Don't just like take your toys and go home. Use it. Use it to motivate you. You know, take a moment, a day, whatever you need to feel bad that you didn't get the results that you wanted to get. But don't let it stop you. Use it. That's the driving force to get you to do something better and different. Okay. Okay, Nancy. So it means... Uh, fear works through your brain, your your being. Now, how does it work when you say self sabotage? You fear su- uh, success. You fear you start uh, suffering from imposter syndrome, as they say. Now we got we got our brains, our minds. We also got our subconscious. What is which one is the vehicle? Uh, for the fear, which which uh, makes it go as a pillion rider on back of which it rides, is it the subconscious mind, or is yeah. it the mind that we have that we no. operate with? No, it's our subconscious mind that holds all of our disempowering beliefs and holds all the fears and the underlying commitments. Our conscious adult mind is being ruled by that other mind, so you have to get out of it. Get into your conscious, wise adult brain so you can move forward. And I didn't answer your question before. The reason why people fear success is they think that people won't like them. Their whole life will change. They'll lose their, they may lose their family and their friends. There's all reasons why they fear success. They also don't want to look stupid. Or I've had clients who have had amazing success. And they're afraid to try something else. It's like they're a one-trick pony. And they're afraid to find out that that's the truth, that they only had one big hit in them. And so they're afraid to move forward. And then fear of failure is that they don't want to look stupid. They don't want to show, they don't want to put themselves out there. Vulnerability is very hard for everybody. More men than women. But basically, they don't want to put themselves out there and then be naked and not be successful. That, to them, that feels more painful than just not trying at all. Okay, so they let, let themselves go on an autopilot. Let life take them where, uh, where, where it takes them. Does it work like that? Yeah, the, well, when you're, when you're in autopilot, Listen, we're all in autopilot. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't ski. I couldn't ride a bike. I couldn't drive a car if I wasn't, if that part of my brain wasn't working on it. That's that's again, I guess, the subconscious which keeps you on the autopilot. Or is it the brain working all the time? Yeah, it's a part of our brain. It's it's a part of our brain. It's the um, autonomic system that lets you do all those things. I'm talking about emotional autopilot. 
I'm not happy. I don't know why I'm not happy. I just go along to get along. I'm a people pleaser. I just, I'm a conflict avoider. I get up every day. I do the same thing. I eventually go, go to a coach because I'm not happy or there's a big discrepancy between what I say I want and what I'm getting. But I'm just so running, my life is just running on autopilot that I'm not aware. So I need to help you stop, break that down. Start asking yourself, you know, what do I want? What do I need? What's the most loving thing I can do for myself today? You know, where am I on autopilot? What are my misery stabilizers? Am I drinking too much? Am I shopping too much? Am I exercising too much? Am I binge watching TV too much? We all do those things. We numb out. And when you numb out too long and too often, life just passes you by. But uh, these are all, if you, if you watch too much of TV, you be happy, then you realize that you have wasted some time, you come back to normal. But why is it that it continues and leads you to uh, repent that those moments when you were happy and then you feel sad? Obviously, you are not watching TV all through your life. Then you are stupid. You, then you need to remain stupid all through your life. Why is it that it leads to not getting that stupidity out of your head and understanding and getting your mind work uh, in time? Why is it that it leads to repenting or feeling that you have wasted your time and that you are not happy about your life? Why that uh, change of track there? Well, I think, I think things are balanced in that over here, you're numbing out. You're watching something, you're drinking, you're eating, you're watching TV, whatever you're doing, it's a misery stabilizer. It's numbing you out. But then... Inside, your negative self-talk is, what the hell? I go, you know, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing something? So you use it to beat yourself up. You know you shouldn't be doing it, yet you do it because it makes you feel better in the moment. It's instant gratification. People go for instant gratification to feed a wound. Long-term gratification is that they're aware that they may suffer and things may be hard, but their adult brain is working and they know they want that thing. They're willing to work hard. They're willing to do without so that they're working towards a vision and a goal. Right. So we beat ourselves up. We do things knowing it's not in our best interest, but we can't help it. We're sabotagers. And then we use it to beat ourselves up. That's autopilot. Okay. And, one question to relate it to this, Nancy, is that is it that they beat themselves up or is it that they become dangerous to others also? Does it work like that or is it just confined to individuals? Well, no, they beat themselves up. That doesn't mean that they don't take their depressed and angry feelings and put it out in the world, you know, especially to the, your loved ones. So people who are really unhappy with themselves and really judgmental with themselves are even more judgmental with other people. They put it out there, you know, I mean, no, they're more judgmental to themselves, but they don't really feel it. They, but you can tell when they're judgmental to other people. So they don't just contain it. It's not just in a nice little container and they're just minding their own business and going about their life. 
that it bleeds out to other people. That's that's uh, that's a problemsome thing, especially uh, in personal front, and then at the workplaces. Workplaces are all already uh, getting toxic day by day, and such uh, behaviors they need immediately uh, some sort of a uh, cure. If you if I if I may use the right word, or uh, they may be checked. They should be checked in time. There should be uh, uh, processes within organizations uh, that such things are immediately brought to uh, cure. I agree. But also people who are depressed or angry, they, they do it at home. They don't do it as often at work because the consequences of, of bad behavior at work is way bigger than the consequences in the short term at home. So they can function all day at work and come home and sit on the couch and be withdrawn and not share and not talk and be miserable and be depressed because at home they can let it all out. But it can break relationship. That's a big thing to lose. Even well, bigger, bigger, bigger loss than a work, than, than a job or something. Yes. Eventually it, eventually, it ruins the relationship, but it takes a long time. At work, it's like an instant, they, they, it could really affect them. So they don't see that. And then they don't do anything about it until their wife like drags them into therapy. And then you get to show and see that, wow, I really have been disrespecting my relationship. I have not been relational. I've been very withdrawn. So it, it takes longer to see those effects and they don't think the consequences are so strong, but they are, obviously. Okay, okay. So now let's look at solutions, uh, because that's that's what people look at. We can keep on discussing about the negatives, and our whole life can be spent in that. But solutions will certainly give a better turn towards anybody yeah. who has any of these problems. Yeah. Now, firstly, let's start from this. How does a person know? that he or she needs help and what, how do people who are close, especially in personal relationships, they understand that it's not a normal uh, behavioral sort of a thing and that the person needs help. How do, do, does it operate from both ends? So that the whole idea is to get the person help in time. <clears throat> I think if your partner is depressed or your partner is angry or your partner is not um, moving forward the way that they want to, I think it's pretty obvious to the other person. Whether or not you can get them to get help, I don't know. You know, that's not always as easy. Um, the clients that come to me, first of all, I think that people have to understand there's a huge difference between therapy and life coaching. All right. Right. Life coaching is for mentally healthy people. They don't, they're, they don't have a psychological disease. They may be depressed, but it's situationally depressed. So people come to life coaches because there's this discrepancy that I talked about before between where they are and what they want. People know they're not living their life to the fullest. I mean, I became a coach because I realized that I'd stopped working for nine years and like what was I doing I was exercising all day long I was playing all day long I knew I had more gifts to give to the world 
And that set me back into becoming a coach. And because I used to be a personal trainer, I owned a gym. And so I went from working on the outsides of people to working on the insides of people. I went from outer fitness to inner fitness. And I, it came when I was at a low point in my life. And I realized there's got to be more. I need to be doing more. I have more gifts to give. So I went out and got myself a life coach. That's how it started. That's how people come to me. They're either, they want to get a new business. They want to get out of the business. They want to get into a marriage. They want to get out of the marriage. They want to lose 50 pounds. There's something that they want to do. They're depressed. They know it. Their partner knows it. I have a lot of people that like, I will go and do an event and then 20 people will come up to me and say, you know, I think my sister-in-law should work with you, or I think my son should work with you. It's like they mm -hmm. see other people, but they don't really see themselves. You know, some do, some will say, Oh my God, this is, you are exactly what I need. And it's short term, you know, it's like 10 sessions. Usually somebody has, has uncovered those things that are keeping them stuck. I help them teach them how to be accountable and stay in integrity and with what they say they're going to do, which is how you learn to love yourself and to set healthy boundaries. Everybody needs help in this. Right. I don't know if I answered your question. I can't remember. Uh, now no, no, no. I, I'm, in fact, I'm in fact thinking about it uh, right. and, and understanding. You see, these are not just discussions. I don't consider these as just mere discussions. These are practical problems with our lives. And if anybody is, you know, as... Uh, impacted by such problems or issues or uh, as I said not everybody is depressed not everybody needs a therapist no, no. Or a coach. yeah it's all situational and right. I'm just I was just thinking in that moment about how the world has changed so much where situations have led to uh, a person being fearful of their own thoughts uh, mm. so many thoughts go into their own mind and normally such thoughts are you know, to travel inside of yourself and de discover yourself to the betterment, but somehow it is all uh, turned towards negative towards it. But let's look at the solution, as I said, and you talk of yeah. using fear as a driving force for change. Right. How does and that happen? Let's use fear as a friend and as a driving force for change. Let's yeah. move our discussion towards right. that. Okay. So the way you make changes in your life and the way you learn to trust and love yourself is to take very small steps outside your comfort zone, one step at a time to prove to yourself that you can do hard things. You can do things you're afraid to do. And then you can see, Oh, look, I took this one little step and God didn't strike me down. I'm still here. I'm not out on the street. Okay, let me take a second step. And let me share my vision and goal with somebody else because then that makes it more alive. Let me put it down on paper. Now it's like a map. And then for me, when I help my clients start with vision and, and goals, I tell them that it's like your vision is like a target. And as long as you, you know, you take a bow and arrow and as long as you stay on the trajectory of that bullseye, you'll get there. So every choice a person makes is in their responsibility and every choice matters. 
If you want to know what your life is going to look like, AJ, 10 years from now, use the crystal ball of the choices you're making today. That will tell you and my clients and your listeners where they're going. So that's the first thing. Get out of autopilot and recognize every choice matters. Ask yourself before you do something, is this keeping me in the past or propelling me forward? Am I doing this because I'm afraid or am I doing this because I have faith that the universe will protect me? And then every time you do something and you're successful, you thank the universe. Yes, thank you. You've got my back that worked. And you look for signs. There are so many signs out there that people don't recognize that will tell you you're doing the right thing. And then when you see these signs, you grab onto them. You're like, oh, I'm on the right path. Now I'm going to take another step and another step. There's like this joke about how do you eat an elephant? One tiny bite at a time. And that's it. The elephant is the thing you're trying to get. You know, I trained for six months at 60 years old and I went and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. That was me doing something I was afraid of. I don't, I don't like to do things alone because I had a shadow belief that I wasn't safe alone. So I had to conquer that. I had to train for it. And I went to Africa and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And that was me proving to myself what I could do. I could do big, hard things. So everyone out there has to choose what is it? What's their Kilimanjaro? What's waiting for them? Get off the couch and take a, take a step forward. That's positive. You want to look for things that support you in learning to trust yourself and have higher self-esteem. And the only way to have higher self-esteem is to hold yourself in warm regard, even when you make mistakes. Even when you see your flaws, you hold yourself in warm regard, regardless. You are worthy just because you're on this earth and you breathe. You don't have to achieve anything to be worthy. Those are all positive things, AJ, that people just have to wrap their head around. Right. Right, Nancy. So you also talk of, you know, different types of fear. Some we we, we can keep, some we can let go. Am I right? Well, yeah. I mean, there are fears that you want to keep. You want to keep your body safe. You want to, you know, you want to make sure that your environment is safe. Those are the kinds of fears that are, are fine to have. You need those. The other fears, you need to have compassion for them, but you have to move forward anyway, because they're they're your childhood fears. They're not your adult fears. I mean, there are people that are afraid to be seen. So many people are afraid to be seen. They don't, they, they, they've either been, they, I've had a lot of clients, unfortunately, that have been sexually abused as children. And so they believe they need to be invisible. I need to be invisible to be safe. Or my voice doesn't matter. My needs don't matter. So if you're a little boy, let's say, and you're in class and you talk, you sit, you stand up, you read, you do something, and the whole class laughs at you. In an instant, you make this belief about yourself. I'm broken. I'm stupid. I need to stay quiet so no one will know. And then you go through your whole life 
that kept you safe. Nobody laughed at you again, but now you're in the corporate world and you never share your opinion in a meeting. People think you don't even have an opinion. You get passed over and you don't know why, but that's why. So you have to uncover those beliefs so that you don't have the fear of speaking up and being visible. So fear of being seen is a huge fear. Fear of being vulnerable is a huge fear, but those fears are keeping you stuck. Right, Nancy. You also talk of setting healthy boundaries. What do you exactly mean by that? <clears throat> setting healthy boundaries is making yourself a priority. So instead of thinking that setting, making yourself a priority is selfish and that you really want to be selfless, you don't want to be selfless. You disappear when you're selfless. So setting healthy boundaries is looking to see what's making you angry, what's frustrating you, what are you guilty about? Are you saying yes to things that you really want to say no? Are you twisting yourself up in a pretzel to be digestible to other people? All of these things, and I'm sure the listeners are sitting there saying, yep, 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 that's me, that's me. You have to learn how to ask for what you want and make your needs a priority because People are not mind readers. I have clients that will say, oh, if he loves me, he would know what I need. No, that's not true. You have to state your needs. You First of all, you have to figure out what your needs are. You're so busy taking care of other people's needs, you may not even know what your needs are. And what happens is that you stuff your needs down and you stuff them down, and then all of a sudden you explode totally inappropriate for the situation People are looking at you like, where did that come from? And it came because you were stuffing your needs down for so long. And when you learn to make your needs a priority and ask for them with grace and ease, I feel frustrated. When you leave the dishes in the sink, would you be willing to put them in the dishwasher? That's asking for a need. I feel, you know, um, dismissed when you talk over me in a Zoom meeting. Would you be willing to wait till I'm finished talking? These are stating your needs in grace and ease. You're not making the other person wrong. You're saying, this is how I feel. I feel X when you do Y. Would you be willing to do Z? And then if they don't do it, because they don't always do it, even if they say they will, your next plan B is in order to honor and respect myself, the next time you talk over me in a meeting, in front of the whole group, I'm just going to say, I'm sorry, I wasn't done speaking. You know, or, you know, I have a lot of clients who don't want their husbands drinking more than two drinks because they become like angry and weird personalities. And so the next time, you know, would you be, I feel frustrated or angry when you have more than two drinks, would you be willing to stop at two drinks? In order to honor and respect myself, the next time you go beyond that, I'm going to sleep alone in the guest room or I'm going to sleep alone in the bedroom or I'm going to leave the house or I'm going to walk away at the restaurant. All of these things are people are afraid to do. You know, it's hard to set boundaries. You think the other person's going to be angry or they're not going to do what you want or you're going to make an ultimatum and then where are you? You have to care enough about yourself to recognize that the short-term discomfort 
of stating your needs is so much better than your long-term discomfort of staying with the issue. Great, great. You have answered a lot of questions for a lot of people, Nancy, and I'm sure they would want to uh, know more because in a show, you can only learn as much as this. Beyond that, they have to connect with you directly and also perhaps read your book. So coming to your book, Bigger, Better, Braver, Conquer Your Fears, Embrace Your Courage, Transform Your Life. What is this book about? My book is actually a step-by-step, just like my coaching is. So I start with vision and goals. What is it you really want? Like, what is your Kilimanjaro? What do you want to work on in these 10 chapters? So you pick a goal, and then I help you with, I have um, exercises and conversations, and I use all my clients and my own life as examples so that you really understand what I'm talking about. And then I do internal processes just like I do with my clients to help you uncover your shadow beliefs, your disempowered beliefs, your, un, uh, your, your unconscious commitments, everything that's keeping you playing small. I, I talked to you about having a growth mindset. I talked to you about putting your faith in your faith and not in your fear. It's a step-by-step book on how to do it for those who aren't ready to hire a coach or don't want to spend the money on hiring a coach. So it's a great thing to do on your own. It's a great thing to do with an accountability partner. The two of you can do it together. You can support each other. You can say what you're going to do. So it's out there and somebody else is going to help you hold yourself accountable. Right, right. Nancy. And how do people connect with you so that, you know, your website, how do they get more resources from there, some free resources if available? And secondly, yeah. how do potential clients connect with you and get your services? Well, on my website, there is a, um, there will be like, you know, things that you can click for a free call. And so that you and I together can see if coaching with me would be something that would you, you would benefit from. And so that's a great place to start. I have a free chapter of my book. I have a few freebies on there that um, you, you should have also, if you don't, I'll send them to you. And, um, that's the way to go. Nancy Picard, lifecoach.com is my website. Nancy Picard Life Coach is Facebook, Instagram. You can reach me, LinkedIn. You can DM me or email me anywhere. And I'm very available. Right, right. Thank you so much, Nancy, for all your uh, great piece of advice and a, a lot of learned advice. In fact, you are uh, such a learned person, BS in psychology and MS in education. You are an author, certified coach, and, you know, especially certified integrative coach. That makes a whole lot of speciality, brings a speciality to this whole advisory session from you. Thank you once again. Thanks a lot. Thanks, AJ.